This is Define the Narrative Podcast with your host, Anne Argo. Welcome to this episode of Define the Narrative Podcast. I'm your host, Anne Argo. And today with me is Chris Milton Berger. And he's a very special person in my life. He is my brother. I think if it weren't for him, I would not have become a mother in the way that I did. And so I am so grateful that he's agreed to come on and and talk about this topic today. So welcome, Chris. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You sound like our father when you say that. Tell us how we got connected. Okay, sure. Uh, I had always known from the earliest ages that I can remember that I was adopted. It was never a secret. I wasn't a big deal. But as I got older... You know, I had that desire to find out where I came from. Living in Louisiana, they had the option when I was in college to go ahead and register to get some additional information. Actually, what's very interesting right now is they've got a bill in the legislature that if you're over a certain age, I believe it's 25, you will have access to your original birth certificate. Not quite the same as other states where, like in Alabama, you're able to go ahead and get your records, no questions asked. You know, we're getting there. Anyhow, uh, I had had done that, and the agency that handled my adoption, they gave me some information, which I later found was probably 95% false which when you look back on it, it was, you know, incredibly disappointing uh, having to go through all the gyrations to the qualifications that they put forward and then to get basically nonsense. So can I just ask you about that nonsense? So the, the, the information that you got that was 95% not accurate, was that information that was provided to them? That's the thing. And you know, because it was through Catholic charities, I found out from other adoptees, uh, that they have a tendency to write a narrative to try to pretty it up for the adoptee. Our, our father was, you know, a, a baseball player, which you know, oh, they I all... don't know that he ever played baseball. <laughs> I mean, maybe yeah. when he was little, like T-ball. But... After you, you get the, the story from the actual birth parents, uh, it was, you know, I kind of felt insulted. You know, it, it's just one of those things yeah. that Once you start looking at it, everybody, you know, in the game has different motivations. And I think Catholic Charities is the agency who placed me had their motivations. I understand from other adoptees that they, you know, are very, very critical. Some of the adoptees that I know that have were adopted through there, uh, the birth parents as well, you know, said they were treated like, like garbage. I guess I can, you know, compared to being treated like garbage, I can. I can deal with being lied to a little easier. And so you had about 5% of good information. What did you do with the information that they gave you? I didn't really do a whole lot with it at the time. You know, graduate school is is a little demanding on studies. So I started, you know, digging a little bit more and living Mm -hmm. less than two hours from where I originated from. And where I had family. And later on, with the advent of computers, personal computers, being able to go online, finding some other resources online at the time was 
uh, very helpful. And I actually stumbled across the time I was teaching teaching school, and I stumbled across a parent of one of my students who was in a forum somewhere that was an adoptee also looking for her birth parents. She clued me into a support group in the area. From there, uh, I went ahead, I, I attended somewhat religiously. It was, you know, once a month type of thing. And from there, you know, one of the other adoptees uh, clued me in on a searcher who, you know, if you paid a fee, they would basically get your records for you. I don't know how it was done because it would probably cost somebody, you know, uh, their job or their retirement. So I would, I'll just say that, you know, I was able to obtain that information. And, you know, that was where it first struck me. It's like, okay, well, the Catholic Charities gave me, you know, a complete lie. Information did they give you? I basically got names, addresses, information about family. So I got our father's name. I was told that he had three children besides me. Uh, They didn't really go into details of, you know, whether it was sisters or brothers, but I knew that I had from his side of the gene pool. Then I got my birth mother's information, found out she lived locally, that I had a, a sibling on her side. And at this time you were back in New Orleans. Yes. Yes. I was living in New Orleans. I had gotten married. This was probably right after I got married. Talked to some of the other adoptees in the support group and uh, about, you know, how do I go about making contact? And several of them said, write a letter, you know, send a certified letter. Don't just you know show up on their doorstep, knock on the door. And it's like, I'm here. That's what I ended up doing. I put together a letter and uh, scanned some photos of me at different points in my life. And I think that was something that, that our, our father you know, mentioned. You know, some of them, I, I look identical to our brother, which, you know, was kind of freaky. You know, you, you, you're not around, you know, used to being around people or knowing people that you look like. So that was kind of you know, surprising for me. Uh, right. Um, I, he called me into the living room and I was teaching by this time. And uh, he said, I got this in the mail. And he handed me an envelope and it was a letter with two pages of a collage. And I read the letter and I looked at the pictures and I, and our brother's name is Malcolm. And I said, how did this person get pictures of Malcolm? <laughs> because <laughs> It, it, I, I could show anybody pictures of the two of you when you were little and y- you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Yeah. And, and you, I, I would actually say you look more like our father than I think we do. I think the influence of the genes of, of my mother on the three of us and uh, don't have to go down the rabbit hole because it really has nothing to do with you, but I'm, I'll just say persnickety that, you know, I was questioning timelines and when things had happened because as it turned <laughs> as it turned out, your birth mother was the girlfriend before uh, my parents got married. Right. And they had she had broken up with him and not told him she was pregnant and her parents had sent her off to New Orleans to have you and give you up for adoption. Yeah, it was it was kind of a strange situation. Uh my uh, my grandfather on her side, you know, was in a prominent medical position in Birmingham and part of the Catholic community there and couldn't bear the embarrassment. So he shipped his pregnant daughter off. So she was close enough 
that he could get to if he needed to, but basically out of his hair. That's what happened to a lot of women in that time, right? Yeah. And, you know, some of the stories I heard from my birth mother about some of the other girls, uh, St. Vincent's, where she was sent to, were just heartbreaking. She said there was uh, one girl in there that she was gang raped at a fraternity party. So she had no idea who the father was. It just, uh, you try to place yourself back into the mid 60s and, you know, uh, a recipe for a cover up. It's, you know, the woman who's the one who's suffering, you know, as well as a child, because they, there's those questions uh, that, you know, they may never get an answer to unless they do a DNA test and happen to uh, find some connection somewhere. And a lot of uh, people in the world that didn't know that they had connections that needed to be made are having those connections made through the 23andMe because that's part of what they do. Yes. Um, and I think, too, in the world where you have anonymous donors, which I used a willing to be known, so my son will have a chance as soon as he's 18, whenever he wants, that he can meet his donor. But I think that that is part of, you know, the global conversation about anonymous donors. You know, you brought it up. It's like the right of the child, you know, the right of the child to have that knowledge and, and information. And a lot of countries, it's a yeah. closed, closed, uh, anonymous donor and closed adoption is, is not illegal anymore. I mean, it's not legal. It's not legal right. anymore. And And I mean, I, you know. And at that point, uh, you know, I think it's you and I, I think me being the youngest and you being the oldest, I, I, I feel that we had a connection that I didn't have with yeah. <laughs> the other two. Well, they're close together and far from me. Right. And so right. I was always the baby. And, and, and I think we connected on, I mean, we're interested in things like family and, and stories and things like that in ways that. Um, I, I'm not, yeah. I know that my sister went to some of the, the meetings. I, I definitely think you and I, it resonated between us, um, these conversations. Uh, yeah, I think one of the things I've learned with relationships is that uh, if you need to want to have an active relationship, it it's a two-way street. We're not in regular contact like I would probably like to be. You know, when she lived here, you know, it was fantastic. And uh, she moved away. And I think that brings us to a big topic of conversation that you and I had, which that I think I instigated, which is, you know, I'm not really sure if you were ever wondering or thinking if you had been raised with us that that necessarily would have been preferable, not to say you have a sister who's also adopted and and. And that was kind of the next big conversation that we had was relationships are not perfect, regardless, you know, like, even if you had been with your genetic family, that doesn't mean that your life would have necessarily been that much better. There's something to be said for a genetic connection, at least just, I mean, I think back to the first time we met, and what struck me was the mannerisms, the gestures (laughs) that clearly are genetic. Right. And I think in that there is some kind of familiarity or awareness or or some kind of synergy just in terms of a similarity of genes. But I don't know that it would have been, well, I could guarantee it probably wouldn't have been better than your adoptive parents were beautiful, a blessing. 
they gave you a great uh, childhood and they continue to be of great support to you. And I'm super glad that they're your parents. Yeah. And I've, I've always kind of felt like the difference between myself and our brother was that I guess maybe that I was forced to make better decisions at times. And that, you know, because he wasn't, that's probably the biggest difference between the two of us. The Um, nurture, the nurture, the nurture that you received and the nurture that our brother received were very different. I can guarantee you that the way he was raised was the way our father and his brother were raised and the way their father was raised. And so your experience was being nurtured. Your nature was the same, but your nurture was different and the outcome was very different. And so when we talked about it, you know, I, I think that's kind of what really made me start to ponder it was the the idea of nature versus nurture and what happens when your family is not your biology. It, you know, is it better or worse? And and I think our conclusion was like in 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 some respects circumstantially probably better for our specific story, right? Just because there's some generational stuff specifically for boys that I think was a tough cross to bear. And I know things that I, as the only one of the three that were raised in it, that has a boy, I'm like, I've got to do it differently. So in that respect, it was that it was that aha that you don't have to be with the people that are your genetic parents in order to feel loved to feel connected, to be raised well, and to become a happy, functioning, well-adjusted adult. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I just feel very blessed that I did take the step to unlock that box. You know, I, I think a lot of times the original intent was really to find my birth mother. I don't want to say that I was disappointed. I was disappointed later because she initially did make contact and then decided to cut off contact. And I am not going to to criticize anyone. She literally was promised anonymity for life. Whether or not it was correct to promise that, uh, it ended. She had issues with that. I don't know how I would react if I was in the same situation. And it had nothing to do with you. No, I, I think it was her life growing up was very different than either of ours. That had quite a bit to do with it. It's one of those things that, you know, one of the things I started doing when I was like very actively searching and on the brink of getting my birth information, uh, you start reading books about it. You start reading how birth mothers sometimes like a romantic attachment to their their sons after they meet, maybe it, it's like satisfying some fantasy or something. I don't it's, remember the no, exact thing. No, no, no. Thing. I do actually, and it's funny because it was actually in a in a Law and Order recently. Is that there is research that people who are genetically related, when they come in contact, that there is there is a biological draw connection and and it's made me really ponder coming from the south where we had to make the the law that you had you couldn't marry any closer than your second cousin because 
it's right. inbreeding, but knowing that that's royalty, right? And so yeah. that idea that it really bespeaks to biology and the conventions of civilization, but it is that. It is that you are drawn to your own genetic. And I've had to tell my son, I'm like, you know, some of your half siblings, but there's some that you don't. And there are girls, you need to be aware. It is highly possible that you will encounter a half sibling and be attracted to them. And you need to make sure that before you date any girl, you need to ensure that they are not biologically related to you. Yeah, That was something that kind of struck me after I found out that when I was in graduate school, our sister was two, three hours away. Could have very easily met her at some point. I think with my birth mother, it was more, honestly, kind of set me back a little bit, was at a certain point, she said, uh, you're my soulmate. I, I didn't really know how to, how to respond to that. I did feel a, a connection with her, but maybe not at that level. I wonder if maybe some of that was the reason she decided to kill, you know, cut off contact. It was too, too strong and too painful. Yeah, yeah, too intense. And and you're a missing piece to her puzzle. I mean, yes. you're definitely a missing piece to her puzzle. I think that's why I enjoy talking about this with you is that you seem to have great understanding and empathy and compassion for her position and, and really everybody's position. I've had my own crosses to bear with the two siblings that I was raised with. You come to find out that sometimes your parents keep things going that would not otherwise keep going. And the idea that you're raised with someone, some people don't necessarily think that that's a reason that you stay connected at level that you, that one person thinks it should be is not necessarily what the other person thinks it should be. Yeah. If you're going to have an active relationship that has to be commitment on both sides. I don't see our brother very often, but when we see each other, it's like time didn't really pass. And I haven't seen our sister in a while, but I think it would be the same way. You know, there's something fundamental there, those low-level relationships that are much harder to get away from. It's not the same as you and I in that you know, we're like two peas in a pod. And you I know, think it, that that's just... a good point, too, thinking about kind of what this conversation might be offering to listeners is the idea that there's no guarantees about anybody that you meet or anybody that you connect with, whether you're biologically related to them, legally related to them, whatever it is, is, is that there's no guarantees and that expectations can be crushing. Absolutely. Absolutely. But no expectations have blessings in them. Letting the flow happen the way it's supposed to and, and having gratitude because I know for me, I cannot have these conversations. They're not in my, our two siblings are not interested in this type of conversation. And so in thinking about women who choose to adopt, you mentioned it before that you think that there should be a law that allows adoptees to have access to their information. Do you think that adoption, closed adoption should be illegal? I wouldn't go as far as saying it should be illegal. I've got friends, actually, she's a former student of mine. For some reason, we connected as a teacher and student. I ran across her later on, but I knew at the time she had shared with me that she was adopted. Got on Facebook, and I was one of the first people she had as a friend. And uh, it was great to reconnect with her. It's always great to, to see a former student 
doing well in life. We kind of started talking and it's like, you know, did you ever find your birth parents? And it's like, no, I'm, I'm still looking. So, but uh, unfortunately I, I kind of repeated the cycle. I ended up getting pregnant in college and giving my child up for adoption, but I know where she went. I know that like she's dating a friend of mine's son, kind of wild, you know, to see that where it's so different than my situation. Luckily for her, she was able to eventually find her birth father, was able to start something, some kind of a a relationship with him. I don't know if I would say it should be outlawed. Like a lot of things, the tides change. Open or semi-open adoptions are really, you know, the way to go now. Uh, I haven't heard of any closed adoptions recently. You know, at least in the last 20 years or so, I I wouldn't say it should be outlawed. You know, I'm always that mindset of you want to keep your options open. And it was that that actually made me choose to have a willing to be known so that there's the option to at least connect. There's no relationship guaranteed. And I am very adamant to make it clear that it is one face to face and whatever happens after that happens after it, this is your biology, right? And, and to have that option and that willingness of that person who was so helpful, he's so clear about his story that the donor has nothing to do with the family, right? Other than helped me out when I needed the sperm to have him but it's it's from our conversations right it's it's just that curiosity right to be able to satisfy that curiosity and and at least have access to it at some point to know right and you know honestly the medical information is critical i never really thought about it too much until recently it would really be great to have a little more medical information and that's to me one of the big stumbling blocks not having any kind of relationship with my birth mother i really don't have any updated medical information other than what i got 25 years ago uh, i would really love to be able to get more there's certain Certain lines I'm not really willing to cross to get them. You know, that I think that's, you know, one of the other considerations is, is that medical information, especially these days. Yeah, no, for sure. And even with sperm donors, because I had information, but whether it was complete and accurate, that, that's a topic that's that's evolving in the world. And, you know, another thing that's evolved is I am pondering for myself whether this would have been my first choice to create a family, whether I attempted to to create a family the way that I thought I was supposed to, or whether that's really what I wanted. There are a lot of women who are choosing creating a family of their own, not as a last resort, but as a first choice. There are women who are finding that their fertility makes it such that adoption is their pathway to becoming a parent. I mean, I had trouble conceiving. It wasn't It wasn't a prolonged, but it was definitely going to either happen or not happen. And it was at the last point. And I know that I was very open to adoption because of our relationship and and what I had learned. What are your thoughts about people who choose as a first choice to create a family with adoption? Would you encourage it? Do you think that it was a good thing? You know, I have nothing but great things to say about it. I'm lucky to know 
quite a few other adoptees who had fantastic experiences. One of my good friends who I met you know, through the, the support group found out within the last couple of years, she was finally able to find her birth parents. Lo and behold, they were actually married. It really turned out fantastic for her. Anyone who wants to have a family, I would say, don't limit your options. There's lots of ways to make a family. Uh, adoption is one. One of my cousins, uh, she fostered two kids and was able to adopt them. It has been fantastic for the kids and for her and her husband. I've got a former coworker who adopted a baby out of Russia, and he's you know graduated high school now, doing terrific. And we so, have a cousin, another cousin who fostered older children, and now the mother, a single mother of two. It's very interesting, I think, the awareness of the experience. I mean, look, every aspect of life has pitfalls, right? And that doesn't mean that you come away from it. You know, when I started this podcast and I interviewed the founder of singlemothersbychoice.org, she said, you know, when when I did this, it it was all about the children were going to be warped or damaged because the family unit. True. We've just come so far. And I think that the change of of what a family is evolving so rapidly in such a beautiful way. And I have gratitude for you today and every day because I just, I don't see how I would have made it to where I am if your story had not unfolded and, and that we weren't able to have these conversations. So for that, I'm grateful to you. I'm grateful every day to have you in my life now. Sometimes there are special people in your life, you know, be it friends, family, coworkers, just make your days better. And uh, you're one of them. Thank you. I, I feel the same thing about you. So Chris, thank you for joining us on Define the Narrative podcast. And I hope this conversation inspires many to keep adoption as a viable and a loving opportunity. And also for adoptees, to think about the the opportunities for more, more of their family and connection as they move through life. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Define the Narrative podcast. We invite you to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and sign up for our email list at definethenarrative.us. Until next time. This is... 
the Find the Narrative podcast with your host, Anne Argo.